Hello and good morning. Good morning. How are you today? Nice, nice to hear your voice. Oh, yeah. likewise. Are you, um, are you coronated? Oh, I was going to try so hard not, not to, talk to talk about, about this. It. I'm so sorry that the first thing I ask you is, um, I had lunch with a, a staunch Republican yesterday. It's okay. I, it, well, it was interesting. It wasn't until yesterday that I realised I've gone from being pretty agnostic in relationship to the royal family, like having no particular perspective, thinking some of the stuff that they do is ridiculous, thinking that the Queen was really rather lovely in lots of ways, to being absolutely furious most of yesterday. Oh, absolutely furious. Not, not equivocally furious. Oh, no, it was, it was two feet planted right in righteousness. This is a podcast in which two friends talk about the pleasures, absurdities, and imperfections of being human. I'm Simon Ellis. And I'm Lee Miller. Welcome to Midlifing. I, I was kneading bagel dough. In a house, alone, Bob was shopping for ingredients for the remainder of uh, dinner. And I said out loud, Lee David Miller, what has happened to curiosity for you? Because I just thought, oh, I'm just cross with everything mm. I'm hearing. The, the radio was on and I was, I was shouting at it. Where, had, where has curiosity gone? It's quite difficult at the minute mm. for me. Do you think it's more difficult now than it was two years ago? I think it might be a little bit more difficult at the moment and i think it's i don't know this if this is global and i would be interested to know people's perspectives from beyond these sceptered isles <laughs> septic isles i can't remember which <laughs> um it just it, it does feel like off the back of a, a series of governmental changes and shifts and and policies and behaviors and things like that it's it's kind of hard to listen to anything without just immediately going arm oh, cross for mm. me well i do have a you know i have a i, I certainly can recommend not like it, it it is um i'm not sure about the the politics of the ignorance uh, you know that sort of curious experience of of people telling me bits of news and um it's such an interesting experience because uh it's just the news it's just oh this happened and you know sometimes it's uh i guess modified or filtered through the particular lens of the politics of that person but more often than not it's just this happened and um yeah. and and it's very curious because it's you know and i think it's important that i would know that this happened, whatever that, that this is. Uh, but it certainly, I don't feel, um, you know, it's not surprising really, but I don't feel wound up and bound up in, in all that is going on or the machinations and the minutiae of, uh, of the messiness of politics. Um, yeah, I think there's a point at which I do need to follow your, follow your lead. Mm. But it's funny because we had, uh, my sister and I went out for a meal with a, a woman, a very dear family friend who also used to be our babysitter. Um, we had a, we ended up having a conversation, the three of us, about the level of poverty in New Zealand and 
I think disbelief. It was really, it was quite, um, it was quite horrifying, actually. And also something like as simple as uh, the lockdowns. You know, the quite that's quite quite stringent lockdowns that happened in New Zealand. Uh, yeah. And truancy rates have skyrocketed at schools and have maintained that level. And it's particularly bad, and the poverty is particularly bad, of course, amongst Māori and Pacific Islanders. And um, so there's there's something... Um, she was... She's never been one to mince her words, but was... Um, I think distraught and just basically saying it's fucked, meaning New Zealand. Like she, she, she used the words third world country. Jesus. Yeah, I know. It was really, um, and it's because Susan and I, of course, you know, we, we, I mean, there's, what is there, six years between us and, but more or less our, uh, uh, we grew up in the same environment. That doesn't mean we had the same experiences of the same environment, but we certainly grew up in more or less the same environment. And I think there's a certain, we have a certain, I won't speak for her, but I, I think I have a, a particular uh, uh, sunshine-tinted uh, perspective on what it's like or what it was like, certainly to grow up in New Zealand. Um, a sense of freedom, sense of, um, yeah, freedom's probably the best word, that this is, we were just running around and yeah. safety and um it's that that memory doesn't seem to be uh, it doesn't seem to hold like it doesn't seem to uh, it seems to be just that that the new zealand that existed no longer exists uh, that that was that's what i got from the conversation it's it's funny isn't it thinking i mean it, it must be even more so for you the, that because you've got that prismatic experience of of you've not only got memory but you've also got the fact that you have lived in two other countries since then. Mm. And so your your memory of your childhood is refracted through Australia and through the UK. Yes, and of course, I know you spent a lot of time in Italy as well, but, but certainly living and, and being part of the... Um, just just the, the the machinations of 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 how to be a, a, an adult in a, in a in a country yes, for I'm, you has yeah. been informed by two totally different places yeah. yeah and really i really left new zealand as a 20 what is it? i was 20 let's say 24 i was similar I, similarly when i think about my childhood it's very glowy <laughs> it's very <laughs> sunny and and i'm also you know super aware that I'm sort of seeing everything through the lens of privilege. And I, it's not that I had a, you know, a, a massively privileged childhood in the sense that um, I, I grew up with, with staff and, and acres and all that kind of stuff to go back to the coronation. But I, I grew up with two parents living in a house, two incomes. And also there was, there's quite literally a safety net as well, isn't there? Like if you'd fallen on your face, you'd be able to go back and they'd be able to loan you some money or whatever it is. There was, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So absolutely. certainly that's, that's and quintessential middle classness in terms of the safety, in terms of that safety yeah. net. Absolutely, and it's so it's it, it's taken me this long to realise that I've I had a middle class experience when I was thinking that because my parents, you know, my mum worked in a factory, my dad was a butcher, they both grew up in poverty. It's like oh, so I'm working class, right? No, they are. <laughs> They'd already done all the hard work by the time I came along. Mm. I never really thought of myself as working class, but you know, what I mean, informed by those um, 
those narratives. Yeah. But yeah, so it must be um it must be doubly or triply for you. Um Oh, and Susan, because she lived in France, didn't she? Yes, she's uh, so, Susan's lived in France, uh, New Zealand, and the United Kingdom. I think that would be uh, yeah, yeah. So you, the two of you, have both had that experience of of something between New Zealand and here. So it was like you know you, you yes, staged with yes, exactly. I think she more or less maybe she was a little bit older when she left New Zealand proper. Maybe a little bit. I don't know. I have to ask. But is, well, is it, it was it harrowing to hear your your former babysitter give that <laughs> context? Yeah, it was shocking. Um, also, because the New Zealand that I have contact with is, uh, uh, and the New Zealanders I have contact with, um, there's families. They've got uh, they've got money. Uh, they all live in houses. Um, there's lots of space, so I, I have a very um, partial view on life in New Zealand. Uh, people like me, and the like me is in many different ways, not just uh, let's say the colour of my skin. Or and um, and so what it it what it did, and as it does here when I have little uh, conversations with people about poverty in this country and is that it just you know it's that it's that terrible reminder of that or no the way in which our culture our cultures when I say cultures I mean in the UK and New Zealand we we're able to keep things at arm's length we're able to things are able to be kept invisible um, and so when you when that uh, when that veil is uh, um, removed, uh, it's uh, and even just in this one instance, which is not l- physically removed in the sense it was just someone saying this. It's not like I was seeing it with my own eyes. Uh, it's um, it's shocking and also a, a reminder just of how one of the ways in which the our economic system functions or consumer capitalism functions is to keep us isolated when i say us i mean to keep people who don't have money isolated from people who do have money you know it's a very very um it's pernicious that just just horrible 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 so to have that punctured uh so capably and articulately last night was um was very difficult. I don't know. I think I'm not. I circled around there. I'm not sure I was being particularly clear about that. But yeah. No, it's. I. I. I think. I. I think I hear what you're saying, and, and I think in in some respects it's it's where we started this morning, which is I. I didn't think I was. I didn't think I was a Republican until I was reading yesterday about a, a local council who chose to put five hundred thousand pounds of its money towards celebrations for the coronation rather than investing in a food bank yeah 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 or or prince charles uh, has uh, said he would welcome paying taxes and and you know of course the irony of that is as if only each of us could decide whether or not we wanted to pay taxes <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i don't so i don't you know i think as i say prince charles um anyway yeah. I... Well, well, you, unconsciously, you you joined the not my king brigade. <laughs> well, I don't really think of him as my king. I mean, I guess you might say he sort of. I guess he is, but. Um, oh, oh. 
Not quite a lot of time for King, uh, for King Charles, frankly. Uh, but, um, but no, I don't. <laughs> and I think, yeah, I, I probably... I probably have less time for the individuals because I find it difficult to get past the yeah, yeah the, the 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 system. Yeah, which I mean, was which I was I was in, un, incapable of thinking about critically because of the weight of the um, the number of years that Queen Elizabeth II had under her belt. So it, was, it kind of she was like a tree. Yes. If that makes sense, she she was just so present yeah. in in my life and in moments. Not long ago, we were talking about the Silver Jubilee and and incredibly happy memories of a of a candy floss machine. You know, yes. <laughs> but it's I don't. I mean, it's funny. I don't. I actually think that the 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 more pressing issue is one of representation, meaning for the most part uh, the politicians in this country and I I don't know New Zealand it's just I've been out of it too long um, have very little the, the 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 degrees of poverty in the country or the degrees of privilege and poverty are, uh, are so separated that it would be quite possible for um, you know, an Oxbridge, uh, Eton, uh, and Oxbridge-educated uh, man to have no no direct experience of any of that kind of poverty. And when I say direct experience, I don't mean them, their families, but I mean being no, amongst... just seen it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's entirely possible. And so that means their capacity to, let's just say, empathise or yeah. imagine that is... Yeah. tragically limited, if not yes. non-existent. Uh, I, I know what you mean about the idea that there would be some people who could have lived through life without negotiating, encountering, or bumping up against poverty, even if they haven't lived in it. Yeah, but, go on. Um, yeah. So it's... I'm, I'm, yeah. Shall we maybe segue into your big topic that we trailed at the end of last yeah, episode? Yeah, so I was thinking, I've actually... There's actually something that's... Uh, and I'm not going to call it, I'm going to save it for next week. I think it's, but, but it's like, it's, it's prime time midlifing talk. Oh, well, we can always defer, defer. No, no, I think that, lot. I just think Are that. Are you sure? No, I think we shouldn't. I think we'll let, be, be letting people down then. I mean, people will Go be on, tuning then. in precisely for, so, uh, yeah, so it was, it occurred to me this, and it was a very weird, you don't often have that feeling where it was quite, it was it biking into work in a very ugly part of town, just this one little bit, which is now mostly student accommodation, but it's, there's just rubbish everywhere. It's, it seems to be a place that people hang out and drop things. And, uh, in that charming part of the city, uh, I had this thought, which was, uh, imagining myself to be a different person, not in the kind of <clears throat> Mel Gibson, uh, inhabiting the body of was it Helen Hunt? You know those movies. Oh my those, god! Those I body... watched that film. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, although I did yesterday watch a film called Freaky, 
which stars Vince Vaughn as a serial killer and uh, he swaps bodies with a young teenage girl. It's it's very silly. It's like fun. Freaky Friday, isn't Freaky Friday? It's like Freaky bit, Friday if like instead of swapping version. with your mum, you swap with a murderer. It's, it's a very, very graphic horror film. It's very funny. It's amazing how many films there are about that kind of, you know, think of Big. There's, a, yes. there's one called, is it something nearly 30 or something like that? Something. Uh, Jennifer going Gar- on thirty. Jennifer Gar- Garner. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Well done. Thank you. Thirteen going on thirty. Thank you. I've been. I'm pretending. Freaky Friday. I didn't just watch that last night. Uh, <laughs> Freaky. I didn't. Freaky Friday. You've got, you've got two. You've got the Jodie Foster and the Lindsay Lohan versions. That's right. Jodie Foster did. Oh, that's right. Um, I see that the pictures. Yes, I think I did as well, but I didn't see the Lindsay Lohan version. But it is a weird. Th- it is a. <laughs> it is a weird thing, though, isn't it? That we have that. There's that sort of idea about being someone else. Yeah, and of, I didn't, of being someone else. Exactly, yeah. and I didn't mean. Oh, imagine if I were Lee Miller. I mean, I meant another version of myself. And the next thought I had was quite simply: What are the things that made? What are the things that I that come to mind that make me that made me the way I am? That I can go. I think this was a pivotal thing in my life that uh, has shaped my personality that shaped forgetting about the genetics because of course i, I have a pretty strong um yeah sense that the genetic component of things is very strong but of course i'm not you know i'm very much a bit of it's a bit of that a bit of uh, a bit of genetics and a bit of uh, a bit of nurture a bit of nature a bit of nurture so if i would ask you that question are, do you, are things that are there things that come to mind that you think I'm I'm like this because of that, or because, and because of that. I think probably the biggest, the most pivotal moment for me is my parents deciding to sell the pub that we lived in when I was fifteen and move to a rural part of the UK when I was about maybe three months before my GCSEs. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it from a <clears throat> GCSEs for everyone who's not English are, um, which is about thirty percent of the people. Who listen, I don't know that I'm just making that up. Um, uh, are the like sort of as a fifteen-year-old, the first major public exams in British people, English people sit. Yeah, yeah, you do them. You do them in the in the last uh, mandatory year of high school because oh, yes, in the right. UK yeah. you can leave school at 16 yeah. um, and then you've got a further two years of optional secondary education which which um, we would call sixth form um, yeah. and you go and do your A-levels so um, it used to be O-levels ordinary level followed by A-levels advanced levels and then it became GCSEs general certificate of secondary education um, with A-levels and then I think you can do BTECs and higher national diplomas and all sorts of things post sixteen. Right. I, I really um, I could have used that little summary before I started uh, as a lecturer at uh, university here. That would have been really helpful because I do remember hosting opening day open days and teach and parents asking me all these questions and me just looking at students with me going, "Could you answer that one?" <laughs> they were great at it too. 
because they've gone through it. And, yeah, exactly. And exactly. the um, and all those things like UCAS points were really important, and yeah. they would you know they would have them chapter and verse <laughs> did, committed to memory. I did think I did think at one point I said, "Look, you can hear my accent. I have no idea about that. I'm going to pass it over." <laughs> anyway, so so three I months think, before um, you set your GCS, GCSEs. Yeah, yeah, and from this perspective, it's very easy to say. That was a very poor parenting choice. <laughs> it does seem and it does seem a little bit uh, prickly. It did have a negative impact on the outcome of my GCSEs. I was predicted to do much better than I did, but unsurprisingly, I was uprooted, sent to a, a new school. Um, it maybe was maybe it was more like maybe it wasn't three months, maybe it was six months. I don't know, but it was it was definitely halfway through my final year of GCSEs. We moved at least halfway through and then i was registered to do exams in the town where i had previously lived so i had to go down and stay at friends houses to take those exams so it was it was wow really not very um stable it wasn't elegant stable there we go it wasn't very stable yeah. and it is easy for me to kind of go that was a stupid thing that my parents did <laughs> But I also, even then I knew, my parents left school at 14 with no formal education. They had no, you know, my, my parents don't have O-levels or CSEs, which were what predated GCSEs. They don't have any formal qualifications at all. So it didn't really, they wouldn't, didn't, wasn't really, you're suggesting that it wasn't even occurring to them that this was a big thing to do. They were they were thinking about the, the family, the sort of bigger picture of the family, not your GCSEs. Absolutely. They understood kind of conceptually that exams were important but they didn't have any lived experience of what it meant to take one that is that is uh, well i have to say it, it is pretty amazing just that perspective which is to say even as you say you're describing this as a kind of monumental or very important thing in your life to be able to what a thing we can do human beings can do which is to imagine the experience of the other people in that situation and to uh, not see it as just something that was happening to you that just affected you, as you said, sort of negatively in terms of your... There are many other things going on. Yes. I think... I, and and I'm, I might be romanticising my, my own capability of being thoughtful and 360 <laughs> in my vision, but I, I don't remember any rancour or disappointment or frustration or thinking, you know, I, there was certainly no point where i acted out i didn't get i didn't Look what you did to me with anybody yeah never did that yeah. because um i understood i understood there was a decision that was bigger than me mm. so we moved and yeah it had a negative impact upon my uh on my exam results but but what it also meant was that the plan that i had okay i'd <laughs> In my senior school, where I where I did my GCSEs, where I did my first five years of, of secondary education, I was brought in to see the headmaster. Everybody was brought in to see the headmaster. This wasn't unusual for me. Um, and he said, let's talk about careers. What would you like to do? And that, so he effectively had a careers chat with us at some point towards the beginning of the fifth year, the, the, the year that I would be taking my GCSEs. Um, and I said, I'd, I'd really like to go into performance I'd, I'd, I'd really like to train to be an actor that's something i would like to do 
And he said, well, that's just not realistic. People don't get jobs like that. Your parents own a pub. I think you should probably go into the hospitality industry. You're clearly very capable in that field. You're very personable. I think you'll do well. Uh, OK, I, thanks. Bye-bye. Uh, and, what a, and I think the hospitality industry has missed out, <laughs> hasn't it? I mean, I think I would have made a very, very personable waiter or restaurant manager. Absolutely. No doubt about yeah. it. But I think that sense that what I was interested in wasn't being heard or listened to or recognized and just like, off you go. That's not what you should just go on to be. There wasn't a discussion about should I do A-levels, none of that. Just you should should leave school and go and effectively work in your mum and dad's restaurant. It was basically the the principal, he, was basically using kind of Bayesian probability stuff by just going what are the chances of uh, the chances of you being a publican and following in the footsteps of your father were much much greater it was much more likely to happen and so he was just uh, he was playing the numbers yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely and as a result of my parents moving i didn't have i didn't have a support system so i didn't i didn't have friends i didn't know the area i didn't know what to do or where to go and and I, and so I fell into doing A levels because I oh, couldn't I get a job see. because I didn't I didn't know I didn't know where to go and get a job. So or if you'd like stayed, and, you, you know, might have left school. Oh, I would have left school. You're kidding. I would have left school at sixteen. No, 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 not at all. I would have I would have left school at sixteen, um, and I would have got a job. And we wouldn't be having this conversation now. No, no, no. So that that. That's what I think, again, why wow. it's easy for me wow. to be yeah, pretty yeah, yeah. Yeah. sanguine about my parents moving. Yeah, because, because although yeah. it had a, you know, it, I look at my GCSE results and go, oh, God, I don't look very clever on paper, do I? <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty confident that the paper that came afterwards has shifted that narrative somewhat. Um, the, the curly, yeah, the curly PhD scroll. What about you? Well, I think, I mean, I don't, you know, certainly as we've talked about turning up and turning up to a dance institution and ending up um, doing auditions and ending up changing my career as, into being a dancer was a pretty uh, pivotal moment in terms of, um, yeah, professionally, I guess. And I would say my father died when I was 27 and I think that the the weight of that and how I've the things I've read and the things I've thought about, even, let's say, more sort of conceptually about the nature of time, for example, uh, that's been, that was extraordinary. Um, and, you know, doubled down on that since uh, since Gabriel, since my mother died. And um, But I have to say, I, I think, if I think about the shaping of how I am as a human being, meaning, meaning the how I am in relationships, how I am at work, how I am, how I respond to particular situations was completely about being bullied as a teenager. There's no question that my personality and how I saw people, how I trusted people or didn't trust people, how that was transformed over the course of that year as a 13-year-old. No question. When 
I was seeing, I was seeing a counselor in back in London, you know, for years, and just having just really enriched by the complexity of that sort of emotional world, and also the weird thing about anyone who's ever seen a counselor or a psychologist. Paying someone to do that is such a. I felt so icky about it. It was really weird. That sort of why is it that why is it not feel okay to pay someone to effectively reflect on and respond and to listen to what you know? It's a very anyway. That's just an aside. But um, one of the very early sessions we talked about this very thing about um, that boy, that thirteen-year-old boy, and just how how much to carry for a young person at that time. And um, as I was walking home, I just bawled. I bawled and bawled. I, it's been a long time since, since I cried like that, which is, you know, and it was entirely about uh, the feelings of for him, you know, if I if yeah. I separate myself from him, which, of course, is absurd. But, yeah, it was something that is was it? like, well, maybe it isn't. It maybe like a, a, a grown man recognizing that pain of that, that young yeah. person, you know, and really yeah. just so it was really, it was such, it was beautifully cathartic. I'm, I'm caught about that idea of, of, of thinking it's ridiculous to be sad for the 13-year-old. That idea of being separate from, but actually I think if you can't think of yourself as separate from those versions of yourself previously... Is it, is it not really, really difficult to move on from something or to, he- well, let's say to heal to from heal, something rather yeah. than to move on? Yeah. Because you just, you are still that person who has been wounded, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. It was, it really was, a, it was an extraordinarily beautiful um, experience uh, that, um, you know, and hard, but very, very beautiful. <laughs> 